This is the Rams Review Podcast. Discussions, insights, interviews and analysis. All passion, all Derby County. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Rams Review Podcast. Corey, along with you today. Unfortunately, Jason, uh, my partner in crime, part of the dynamic duo, dynamic trio, uh, is not is not involved today as he's got some work commitments. But we are here to discuss all the fallout, see what I did there, uh, against Wigan, and hopefully don't slip up too much. Again, I'm just on a roll right now, uh, and we've just started. Um, we'll talk about the result. We'll talk about some news that's come out today, and then later on in the show, we have a preview of Saturday's opponents, Burton Albion, um, as the Derby travel to the Pirelli. Uh, and just as a clarification for anybody listening, we're not going to preview the Blackpool game because it's a Carabao Cup game. We'll get to Blackpool uh, later on when we play them. Uh, hopefully we advance in the Carabao Cup. We're recording this on Monday evening ahead of the Blackpool game on Tuesday. So if you're listening in Blackpool's results not mentioned or Blackpool's not mentioned in a preview, it's because we're recording it before the game. So, but I'm not alone because nobody wants to listen to me drown on for 45 minutes about Derby. I do have some esteemed guests with me to discuss all of the all the falls, the, the, the thrills and the spills of opening day. Uh, it's regular on the podcast, Jack Bryan. Jack, welcome back. Yeah, hello. Uh, and, recovered from this yeah, have morning. You recovered, have you recovered from from this morning, Jack, with the England women winning in penalties against Nigeria? Just about. Um, been been an interesting weekend of, of action, but uh, yeah, all things Derby here, and uh, you know, I'll, I will have some some England stuff out by the time this goes out from from the game. So I'll, I'll plug that now. But uh, yep. we won't. We won't mention any more of that because, you know, you don't want to talk about penalties. You don't I'm need sure. to be mentioning missing penalties and things like that as America crumbled to their uh, earliest earliest exit of a Women's World Cup in history. We'd only ever finished, lowest amount we've ever finished was third. Now we're a top 16 team in the world of football. So it'll be interesting to see where the women's team uh, goes from there. And also, gents, uh, and I'll just hold on. Before I get into my next point, i got to introduce my other esteemed guest here. It's Justin Peach. Uh, lifelong Derby County supporter, unabashed Derby County supporter, and host of the Second Tier Podcast. Justin, welcome back. We had you on last season. Thank you for being part of the show this year. No, always, always, uh, always a delight to come on. Um, you say long time Derby County supporter. I would air towards sufferer. I think many of us might air towards that at the moment, especially after opening day defeats, which don't come, come come around very often as a Derby fan. So yeah, definitely a sufferer as a as a as opposed to a supporter at the moment. That's true. That's true. Opening day is normally the high point of the dark season, and it just kind of all rolls downhill from there. Uh, but, gents, before we talk Derby County, I do want to mention something I was just going to mention before I introduce Justin. Did anybody see the double save at the end of the USA game last night? Because I've never seen a double save of a penalty shootout before. And then the ball crossed the line by the slowest of measures. Like, what? first of all, the ball did cross the line, whatever the federation says, whatever the coach says. The ball crossed the line. That's why we have the technology. But what an incredible double save. I've never seen a goalkeeper like tip it onto the bar and then claw it out again. That was just, I was just sitting there like, wow, I've never seen that. What do you guys take about that save? Beaten by the metric system, I'll say that millimeter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. was a it was a pretty incredible, pretty incredible save. Um, gents, before we talk about the Wigan game at the weekend, there is some Derby transfer news today, and I want to get your reaction on it. It's a player that we know rather well. 
Um, he scored, I think, 30 goals and 123 appearances first time round. So let's run it back. Uh, it's Martin Waghorn, who Darby have signed as a free agent. He'd been training with the club for a couple of a couple of weeks. He had he appeared in uh, Craig Forsyth's testimonial, um, and he was kind of in and around the building. But he's confirmed on a one-year contract. And the weirdest thing, he's wearing the number 10 shirt, which is just weird. Uh, he just looks weird with the number 10. Justin, uh, thoughts on Martin Waghorn rejoining Darby County? Well, he fills uh, he fills a gap. Um, we need additional depth in that final third, and he's a familiar face, which will get a lot of fans on board. After covering him for the last two years in the championship, he's he's not set the world alight. I mean, his record speaks for that, but he spent a lot a, lot, a long time injured as well, and he just didn't get going in a Coventry shirt. And when you consider that they have a threadbare squad anyway, and he still wasn't getting games, probably tells you that. Maybe the drop down to League One should have come a little bit sooner than than this season for him. Um, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bash the signing because I think he, he does he does provide quality, but I'd be surprised if he's a regular starter. And if he is, I'd be worried. Yeah, I I, I agree with that, Justin. I think it's kind of a kind of an indictment about where Derby County are at the moment. I know Paul Warren had said he wanted to get a few more bodies in the door, especially up front. Uh, we've brought one in in Martin Waghorn. I know he said he wants some different dimensions. Martin Waghorn is can play multiple positions up front, whether it's as a central striker, behind the striker, or on the wings. We know he's good at free kicks. Uh, he's he's decent at corners and set pieces. Um, so it does kind of feel like to me, Justin, it's like we just needed a warm body, and we mm-hmm. got the warm body because he was kind of in the room. But I think it's also a testament, isn't it, Jack, to kind of where Darby are at the moment in League One. We can't go out and compete. We know we made a loan, uh, a loan move for the Sheffield Wednesday striker, Michael Smith, I believe. Um, yeah. And which is kind of an indictment, isn't it, Jack, about where Darby are at the moment that we're, that we're going to sign a player who I, I wouldn't say his first stint at Darby was a failure, but I also wouldn't say his first stint at Darby was a success. It was kind of, it was okay. You know, seen better, seen worse. Wasn't Leon best, but you know, it, also wasn't, you know, other strikers. I can't say names because then you get bashed for renaming old players. Um, but it is just kind of an indictment about where we are, isn't it, Jack? It is. I mean, yeah, you if if you just said at the start of the window, Darby are gonna bring in a couple of forwards. You know, you'd have gone, yeah, we need that. Connor Washington, you know, jury's out, we'll see how he does. If you said Horn's coming back, he's two years older now, he's you know, it's not set the world alight away from Derby. You'd have gone, huh. but actually, it's a as a squad option on the right deal. It's not bad, but it is. It's, it shows where Derby are. I will say as well, I am. You talk about the number ten. I am slightly disappointed you didn't stick with the number seventy-eight because that would have been a good, a good weird squad number because it would have had a story. But yeah, as a, as a backup option, somebody who can play in multiple different attacking roles. If the the deal's right, it's kind of fallen into place. It feels like then, then great as an option. If we're relying on him, as, as Justin says, every week to score, you know, twenty goals this season, then that's where you start to worry. And still needs to be another another forward coming in. Someone like Smith was he proven in the Rotherham, you know, in the ward system at Rotherham, but. He's 32 as well. So there was all this, we all spoke so much about the peak age bracket, right? And reducing the average age of the squad. It's interesting, again, that they've not been able to do that. They've got another, you know, he's younger than Goldrick, but 
only by a couple of years. So again, that tells you tells you something. We, you know, we spoke at the end of last season about a long term plan needing to be kind of coming into place. But what we're seeing is these signings, which are maybe a, a bit more short term still. If they get us up, great. If they don't, it's going to be this this sort of situation every summer where they're rebuilding half the squad. And if they do get us up, Jack, Justin, if they do get us up, you know what Jack said there, it will um, it will still be a struggle because you'll have players that are a year older, players that are potentially out of contract, and then you're continuing to rebuild that forward line as well as that midfield and that defense every single year. And it gets incredibly more difficult, doesn't it, as you make the jump from League One to the Championship to do that? Well, we're looking at Sheffield Wednesday at the moment in the Championship who have got a, an aging squad and everybody's tipped them to go down. Um, tactically, they were quite short against Southampton they just played two really deep banks of 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 four and it just it didn't work and Southampton absolutely cannoned them we've all seen the passing stats on social media how many passes Southampton completed I would err to the side of uh or to the notion of that if Derby were to get promoted with the current squad that would be a similar a similar recipe it's not what anybody wants to see uh at the club uh, and it does mean that recruitment needs to um, it does need to improve, and we need to be a lot shrewder, a lot more shrewder than than we have been. There have been a lot of players available in good age brackets that have gone to other clubs, and you just think maybe we should have been in for them. Uh, Lloyd Jones was one; he's gone to Charlton. He got released by Cambridge. He's a very accomplished defender at League One level, and should be making the step up into ch- into the Championship. Might well do that with Charlton. Um, it's just uh, it's just signings like that that have gone under. Or it feels like they've slipped through the net, and they and they shouldn't have. Where if Derby and Paul Warner have sort of gone down the 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 aged, aged, experienced player route, which is, as everybody's pointed out, something that we wanted to avoid this time last year. Yeah, and I think it's it's it, the the problem I find is that you're recruiting in a position that's kind of everybody in world football is looking for a striker, right? Uh, except for probably Manchester City, uh, I think, and. and yeah, Manchester City and probably Inter Miami are not looking for strikers at the moment, but every other club in world football is. And especially when you get further down the further down the, the leagues into League One, you know, players like you said, they're the lot from Charlton, Justin. If uh, I know he was just a defender, but if you're looking at a player that's thinking, oh, I might be able to take the step up, they would probably bet on themselves in the lower end of the championship at a Sheffield Wednesday, um, at a Rotherham, something like that, rather than a better league one team like supposedly Derby or Portsmouth or Charlton or something like that. So you're always going to be competing against that lower in the championship. And we've seen this season, Justin, the amount of money that is starting to flow through the championship. Obviously, I don't know whether it's a consequence of, of Leicester and Southampton coming down to pay a little bit more money, but it switches in for Adam Armstrong potentially for, I read something about 8 million. I mean, Ellis Sims, 8 million at Coventry. I know they got the Gorkas money, so that kind of offsets it, but there seems to be a lot of money flowing around the championship. And if I'm a, ambitious young players had it maybe a good season or two in the in the league one i might be holding out for a lower end championship club rather than coming to a team like derby which i know yeah you know i'm looking at their squad and i'm thinking they've got a good chance but it's not a sure thing and i can go to the championship and potentially get more money you know who says i don't knock in 10 or 15 in the championship and then you look at the lower end of the premier league or the upper ends of the championship next season so i think it's a really interesting um situation and i know you know waghorn didn't necessarily, you know, blow the doors off here the first time he came. But I think when you look at it, it's a warm body through the door. He's 33. He plays multiple positions. He's He always works hard, Martin Waghorn. He always grafts and fights uh, and, and and works his socks off is what is, is something that you need. Um, and, you know, if he bags, again, if he bags another five or six or seven goals, 
that takes the pressure off of James Collins to try to replicate David McGoldrick because we've talked about in our season preview podcast, you might have to get the goals in the aggregate rather than through one player. So it's an interesting signing. Um, you know, for me, I, I just want to give him a benefit of the doubt, make sure hopefully that he hits the ground running and um, people don't get on his back too soon. And hopefully Justin, like you said, his injury problems are are behind him and he can hit the ground running. Um, so Martin Wagon, we don't know if he'll be involved at Blackpool, probably at Burton Albion, I would assume at the weekend. I'm still looks weird holding the number 10 shirt. But let's talk to let's talk about the game at the weekend, gents. Um, Wigan Athletic at home, home opener. And Justin, you alluded to it there in the in the introduction that Derby tend to have a lot of success on opening day. Uh, we tend to to start, I wouldn't say like a house on fire, but we do tend to to grind out a victory. And I think all three of us were probably sitting here thinking, Wigan at home, eight point deduction, nine point deduction. Yeah, it's it's pretty good home opening day game. It's a decent test. They've just come down. Um, but you don't know what Wigan side's going to show up. Sometimes point deductions can really, really just knock a team off a cliff, and sometimes they can just catapult a team to fight like Darby had done. Um, and I was looking at it, and I was kind of excited. I was like, okay, we've got some good players through the door. Um, yeah, there's holes in the squad, but there's holes in most teams in League One squads because it's League One. Um, and then, I, you know, I was checking it, checking it, checking it, and then Charlie White scores, and you think, oh, here we go again. You know, it's an uphill battle. Um, because we know we've started slow over the past couple of years. Justin, walk me through your thoughts um, on the match opening day as a whole. Uh, <laughs> I think the only reason why I really wanted to come on is because I just needed somewhere to vent because I was I came away from the ground uh, so disappointed and 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 really frustrated with how the game transpired, how the game was managed, um, and and just the overall disorganization. Uh, I thought that was was on the pitch. Um, I didn't expect Derby to blow Wigan away. Uh, I like Sean Maloney a lot. He deserved a lot of credit for turning things around at Wigan because they were truly hopeless under Carlo Torre. They were disgracefully poorly organised under him. And Maloney came in and, and, and really got them going. And I think if they, and it's cliche, but if the season was six games longer, maybe Wigan could have stayed up. Um, but they're a team that are, are rebuilding and, and Derby should have really sense that I know Derby are in a similar position but they're a year ahead of, of Wigan in that sense but I look at individuals and it just didn't feel like anybody knew what their role was uh, Max Bird was 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 roaming forward in in, in um, advanced positions which is which is fine but he's he, he's not that player he's a player who collects the ball from a from a back line and starts to dictate a tempo of a game Corey Smith, I don't think he really understood what his role was. Was he uh, uh, an anchor man in in front of the back line, doing that Max Bird role, uh, fulfilling that Max Bird role? I, I, don't, I don't really know. Um, and then you got Mendes Lang, who basically had a free license to to go anywhere he wants, and was largely ineffective after the first fifteen minutes. And then James Collins kept dropping deep and wasn't in the box when he needed to be. It was a it was a poorly organised um, team and it just reminded me a hell of a lot of that Nigel Pearson tenure where nobody really knew what they were doing. Um, so I came away really frustrated and the mistakes, I kind of forgot about the mistakes that led to the goals. It was the rest of the game that really bugged me. I, I know the mistakes lost as the game, but I actually think the way Derby managed the game was was the reason why they they ultimately came away without any points. Yeah, and I saw on the social medias, I'm not sure if you saw it, Justin and Jack today, there was a, uh, I forget, I forget the, uh, the gentleman, but he put up a, it was like picture from, from a stats website and they had the average position of Derby players. And there were like six players and you could literally, as they say, 
put a blanket over him. Mendez Lang was here and then Bird was ahead of Mendez Lang and Collins was like behind both of them. And then there was like, it was basically like you had three defenders and then you just had everybody else like playing herd ball, like when you're eight years old and they were all just kind of clustered in the center of the thing uh, of the pitch. And it was kind of like, this is, this is really bizarre. Um, and I, I agree, Justin. I think, you know, it, it, it and, and your the players that you mentioned there, Corey Smith and Max Bird should know their roles because they played under this manager last year, as did James Collins. You know, it's different if, you know, Joe Ward doesn't understand what he's trying to do or Sonny Bradley misplays a couple of passes. Not not like the one that he did. We'll get on to that in a minute. But because they're kind of newer players, they're kind of understanding the role. They're trying to learn the system of what they're trying to play in. But, you know, these were players that had played 40, 50, 40 odd games under Paul Warren last season. So you wouldn't have expected it from that. I, I agree with you, Justin. I don't think Max Bird's strengths are an attacking midfielder. I think he is that that deep lying anchor that we need. Um, and then let Corey Smith go around and do that running because that's what kind of made him effective at Swansea when he was able to go and just not run around like a headless chicken, mm-hmm. but he had a little bit more free roam. And, and I know he played a little bit defensive midfield and whatever, but he can do that run and let Max Bird pick up that ball and figure out what he wants to do with it. Um, Jack, before we talk about uh, individuals' performances and things like that, what did what did you make? Do you, do you agree with Justin? Yeah, it wasn't great. It was, yeah, it was, it was a disappointing start. You know, we spoke last week about Wigan and a solid, you know, you don't quite know what to expect from them this season, but certainly on the day, they can be great. They've got, yeah, a good young team. My concerns around them over the season were consistency, but, and still are, but they, you know, I thought they could turn up and it was going to be tight. And, yeah, Derby just weren't, weren't really at it. There was... There was little, in terms of creativity, it felt like there was little apart from the crosses because that midfield was just a bit all over the place, you know, congested. I mean, Joe Ward put some good balls in. He looked decent. Kane Wilson, when he came on, has excited people. But there's there's not all that much to, to take from it. I mean, the other, in terms of positives, it doesn't feel like. But there's... You talk about this average positions graph. So this that was tweeted, and I, I saw this yesterday, actually, comes from uh, Sofa Store. And another another interesting thing with it, you've got Smith and then Bird, Mendes, Lyon, Harahan, all kind of bunched. You've got James Collins literally right in front of them. He's a good 10 yards outside the box average position. So they're all very, you know, striker and three midfielders, and then Mendes Lang in a free roll. They're all very much bunched together, which does, you both said, kind of feel disorganised. It's also interesting when the main strategy was to get balls into the box, the striker to be pressing on the edge of the box for much of that game. You know, even if he wins the ball back, has James Collins got a pace to then make it to the the six-yard box by the time the cross comes in? So, you know, do we need a different option up front? But... Yeah, I, I just think it was, yeah, I, I'm just, I don't really know how to describe it, which is really useful considering what we're doing, isn't it? But, <laughs> I think, but it I think, black I, I think you're right, it? Jack. It, it's difficult to kind of describe the thing. And, and Justin, I want to talk about Darby's goal scorer, which is Craig Forsyth, because Craig Forsyth on another day could have easily had a hat trick. E, E, E. I don't know where that volley came from, but he lashed it in. It was an incredible, like, technique to hit it and everything like that. Second one comes across. He hits it. Either 
if he hits it a little bit to his left or a little bit further to the right, it goes in, it goes straight at the keeper, unluckily enough. Um, talk about Craig Forsythe and, you know, this potential hat trick that he could have had. Well, he deserved he managed match for starters. And, and I think what we wanted to do was get Joe Ward into positions that Craig Forsythe had in terms of time and space. Um, to deliver those crosses into the box, because although Craig Forsyth in the in years past has been an incredible deliverer of the ball, he's, he's not quite had that mechanism. I mean, I think three ACL injuries will, will do that to you, but yeah, he was quite rightly man of the match, and I, I don't know whether that's a, a bad indictment of where Derby were in that game. Is the fact that their thirty three, thirty four year old left wing back who's been at the club for ten plus years, who's had three ACL injuries and is very much a squad player, was man of the match at left wing back. Um, but yeah, you, you're quite right. The, the first goal was, was superb and um, wasn't necessarily well worked. It was a poor cross by by Joe Ward that managed to find its way to Forsyth. But Craig Forsyth brilliantly has this uncanny habit every game of doing something absolutely spectacular and then following it with, you know, to be blunt, a bit of a cock up. Um, and it, it just felt like that that the goal that he scored was was, was spectacular. And then the one that he missed in a similar position was just peak Craig Forsyth. We knew that was going to happen. We're going to get one goal out of you, Craig Forsyth, and then and then you'll do something that is just slightly underwhelming. But credit to him, he was brilliant. And again, Derby's most dangerous player in, in the final third because, as I say, largely the rest of the team was ineffective other than Joe Ward and, and Kane Wilson when he came on. Yeah, I was going to talk about I was going to talk about Joe Ward, Jack, because he had four or five pretty good crosses. I know he didn't have the best cross when it Craig, fell to Craig Forsyth, but I thought Joe Ward played quite well and I was quite excited. And I thought, you know what? Joe Ward keeps up like this. We're going to, we're going to be a, a danger out wide for the first time in several years, especially if we can get someone not necessarily, you know, obviously there's a need for a central striker to bang those goals in, but even if you have a deep runner from the box coming in at the far post, they can be able to get that too. I thought, I thought Joe Ward played quite well. Didn't you Jack? Yeah. It's what we started to see as a result of his signing is some actual service, someone just getting forward and put, putting the ball in the box. And we just need, as you say, somebody to get there, someone to get on the end of it. You know, that will that will breed goals if, if there's somebody there. Because he created a fair few chances. He was, you know, quite a good threat down that right-hand side. As I say, most of the threat did come from the wings. It did feel like there wasn't really enough through the middle with the disjointed kind of midfield trio. But yeah, the the wide areas is where, for me, the, the positives from that game are. I think Joe Ward did what we kind of what we kind of hoped we'd see from him when when his signing was announced. He get with you know, so that's that's good. As I say, do we need a different option to to be able to get on the end of them? That's that's my question now. But yeah, Ward's, you know what, solid, solid debut. And then Kane Wilson, when he came on as well, you know, seemed, seemed exciting. So, I mean, between them, I think right wing back, from having no recognised right back last season, the right wing back options we've got now, it's it seems night and day already. Yeah, it does for sure. We just need to sort out Callum Elder's fitness and, and sort out another position for him. Justin, let's talk about another defender, uh, Sonny Bradley, uh, former Luton Town. I know he was the captain for periods of time, and he basically captained him to the, the Premier League last year because of the unfortunate issues that happened to their captain on the pitch. Um, 
he was a mistake for the first goal. I think he went to try to play it back to, to Joe Wildsmith. I'm, I'm trying to be kind here. He's trying to play it back to Joe Wildsmith. I, I don't I don't know what happened. I think he used the putter and he didn't need to use the putter. He needed to use like the, I, I'm not a good golf guy either, like <laughs> a five iron or something. And he just did not put any purchase on that at all. It was really, really weak. It was like he'd never kicked a football in his life. And the guy just runs from like 35 yards. And Joe Wildsmith does what he can, but it's extremely difficult for a goalkeeper. So I'm not really going to blame Joe Wildsmith on this one. And he puts it in the back of the net. So, what, what do you think was going through his mind there? Um, and, and you know, I'm sure that he will get better from this from this performance and he will continue to grow and develop because defenders are prone to errors. That stuff happens. Not going to crucify him for it. But I just wanted to just wanted to talk through one of the major talking points of the game. Gave me uh, it gave me Claude Davis flashbacks to be honest with you, uh, because there was a couple of times where he headed it up in the air, he just didn't just didn't quite it wasn't quite a debut I think he wanted. Um, I'm going to back him because uh, again, having covered him with Luton, a lot of Luton fans were in such high regard of him as a as a captain and leader of that football club, and he has been a steady squad defender um, over the last couple of seasons. Um, and he's a leader as well, as, as I mentioned. But uh, yeah, he's, he, it was unfortunate. But I actually think Curtis Nelson sold him short with the pass. Curtis Nelson were, um, really dallied on the ball, was indecisive about where he wanted to pass it and and, and obviously gave Sonny Bradley, who wasn't really prepared for the pass, had Charlie Wyke on his back and then unfortunately just gave him the gave him the through ball, didn't he? Um, so yeah, I feel for him. It was a bad back pass, but he wasn't helped by Curtis Nelson's uh, indecision um, uh, yeah, and poor decision making on the ball because he was um, at times guilty of that in the first half and probably playing some easier passes to out to Joe Ward when there was a better pass inside. There was just a lot of that. And I think that's more down to the patterns of play. Um not going to point the finger at Paul Warren and say it's all his fault, but that's where a lot of my frustrations lies is, 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 is those patterns of play just, just weren't there. The central midfield wasn't there. And I think that's where the, the issue stemmed from. So I'm, I'm going to dig Sonny Bradley out. It was a bad back pass, but he was, he wasn't helped by, by teammates or, or style of play on the day. And, and for the second goal, the ball comes in from the, uh, what is it? The left-hand side touchline uh, as Derby were attacking ball comes over. Uh, Joe Wildsmith goes up for it, who was very assured last season. And I wouldn't say he flapped at it, but he certainly didn't get there. And Charlie White heads it in for for 2-0. Um, thoughts on that, Justin, and then thoughts on Joe Wildsmith. Because last season, I know he came to Derby because he wanted to play consistent games. We knew he was a good goalkeeper, but he didn't have a regular spot at Sheffield Wednesday to be able to show that. He showed that through the course of the season. But now it feels like the pressure might be on Joe Wildsmith a little bit because of the signing of Josh Vickers, who was a starter under Paul Warren previously in his career and would have been a good keeper had um, Rotherham not got a slightly better keeper than him. And he had also succumbed to some injuries. Um, thoughts on that second goal and then thoughts on Josh Vickers. Do you think he starts against Blackpool? And do you think that maybe Wildsmith, knowing that Vickers is there now, could potentially affect his form? Yeah, I will agree with you that I think Wildsmith his his form will be impacted by the the heightened competition, um, and it's going to sound harsh and, and quite blunt, but I think Joe Wildsmith's days as as, as Derby's number one are, are quite numbered because Josh Vickers is an incredible goalkeeper. He really is. He he shouldn't be in League One. He should be in the Championship playing for a team. Um, and it was unfortunate that Victor Hansen at Rotherham 
was the best goalkeeper in the Championship last season because Victor Janssen really is a talent. It's just unfortunate that he's at Rotherham at the same time because if he wasn't, Josh Vickers would be number one and would probably be linked with other clubs. He was very good at Lincoln um, when before Rotherham as well. He's a very, very good shot stopper. He's a, he's a commanding goalkeeper. I'm not really sure what his distribution's like, but I'm not really, sh- I'm not, not certain what, uh, what strengths that's going to be with the, with the more direct system that Paul was going to want to implement. So I do think Joe Wildsmith's going to, going to lose his place at some point. Might even be against Blackpool. Wouldn't be surprised if he's against Burton because they're an industrial side. You're going to need an assured goalkeeper. Um, and I don't think, I don't, Joe Wildsmith's never convinced me in a Derbyshire, despite all the clean sheets. He's just never, He's never truly convinced me in a Derby shirt and that might be harsh, but I think, yeah, I think Vickers comes in and, yeah, he takes his place. I want to talk about Paul Warren because I watched the post-match interview and I saw a different Paul Warren than what I'm used to. I was like, who is this guy who is wearing a Paul Warren mask doing the interviews? Because he wasn't, I mean, obviously they lost an opening day. I get that. I'm not an idiot. I understand that he's not going to be buoyant and jumping about and cliches and whatever, but I saw them lose last year and he had a little bit, seemed to have a little bit more energy about him when he was doing his post-match press conferences. And this one, he seemed kind of flat. He seemed kind of down and depressed. And I, again, understand the fact that he lost an opening day. That is, that is very much well dawned on me. And I think that Paul Warren, if it's, if this result and, and Darby falter and it gets to December, I think the, the seat is going to heat up quite significantly for him because I think I think the expectation was for Paul Warren to get this group into the playoffs last season. He didn't. I expect that the the remit is for him to finish in the top two this season and at a bare minimum top four. I realize, you know, there's the playoff places, but I would think they want the highest place league finish they can. And I think if he's failing that, I think that he will be on a short leash. And I think I think the seat will become a lot hotter. Justin, what do you make of Paul Warren's, I wouldn't say down to earth, but very, I wouldn't say strange, but kind of uncharacteristic post-match press conference where he just seemed kind of down and he wasn't kind of, you know what I mean? Because he normally gives that thing. He's very bubbly. He's like, oh, you know, we've got no more games to go and it'll be okay. And we were trying to do this, this, this. And he was like, yeah, well, we, we kind of lost and whatever. And I was just like, what am I watching here? Thoughts on uh, thoughts on Paul Warren's uh, tactics opening day, Justin, and the longer term outlook for him. Not to caveat this conversation, Corey is not calling for Paul Warren's head at all before people come after me. That is not what I'm calling for. I'm just pointing out a fact. Justin. Um. I'm going to sit on the the side of the fence where I say I'm a, I'm a Paul Warren skeptic in terms of what he does with Derby, um, mainly because his Rotherham teams they were coming up against sides where they were expected to to lose. So there's that mentality built there from it was against them, uh, and and that's where the counter attacking style really really benefits. We saw Wigan, I thought did a did a number on Derby at the weekend. Um, they were so structured they. They isolated Joe Ward. Um, there was no support for him, and that was that was down to you know, some really clever defensive play, uh, I think, from Sean Maloney's side. Um, and there was no answer to it at all. It was just like let's rinse and repeat what we're doing because it might come off at some point. Um, and getting crosses into the box, it might come off at some point. There was no structured pattern of play that I was convinced by that Derby were going to get back into the game. Alas, the goal came from a really poor crossing from Joe Ward, deflected, deflected into Craig Forsyth's path. Um, 
and then and then and then goal. And then you've got the best chances that I think Derby have created from set pieces. I know a lot of people have mentioned that we had 20 shots, but how many of them were clear cut chances that weren't created in open play? Or sorry, were created in open play. Um so I worry about this, the sustainability of his football with this team, this group of players that he's put together, no less. Um and, and I do think that if he's not in and around the top six by the end of September, then then yeah, he's he's looking he's looking um, he's it's looking nervy for him, mainly because I think Liam Rossini was on a was on a good was on the way to a good thing last season, and and Paul Warren got a lot of the benefit of the doubt that Liam Rossini didn't last season. And I know Rossini has gone, but I'm just trying to add a little bit of context to to the point that I'm trying to make. Um, I want Paul Warren to be a success, but I'm just not overly convinced his style of football suits the nature in which uh, teams are going to come up against Derby. Um, his, his style of football is not there to break teams down. It's it's there to counter-attack against teams. So when you need to break teams down, we're left with what we had on Saturday. And, and that's a good point, Justin, because Derby are not used to, especially in League One, I don't think most teams would go up against Derby and consider them consider them favourites. There's probably a handful that would probably think that they are favourites. And then that's when that underdog mentality kicks in. But for a vast majority of the games, you're not going away to Port Vale thinking, ooh, we're Derby County. We hope we get something against Port Vale. And that's no disrespect to Port Vale at all. But Port Vale's not going to sit there. They're going to try to sit back and, and you know, try to play a different way. So that's a very interesting point, Justin. You've given him less time to be on the hot seat uh, than than what I have. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, but yeah, Can I just, just so you have, please, Jack. Because well. I think, again, we spoke about this before with the the mentality Gab Sutton last week was talking about kind of Warren's motivation style. And it was, I mean, Wigan had, in part due to the points deduction, I imagine, in the same way it, it galvanised Derby a couple of years back, they had that kind of us against the world thing on their side. And that's what Paul Warren is used to with Rotherham, certainly when he's in the championship. And that's kind of the way he he galvanises his team. I mean, you saw it even even this morning with Nigeria against England. You know, they were they were technically good, but what also really stood out to me was the effort from that Nigeria team was so much more than England put in, and England weren't changing what they were doing. And actually, there are you know so many parallels in that sense with sticking to a game plan that clearly isn't working and just holding on. England were fortunate to hold on. Derby Derby couldn't, and even when they were behind, they then didn't change anything. And yeah, maybe maybe Paul Warren needs to be a bit more, a bit more fluid and just willing to change things up as well. In you know, have have a bit more tactical flexibility. I agree, Jack, and I think it. it I think Paul Warren needs to. I I wouldn't say he needs to look at himself, but I think you know, for years Darby suffered from not having a plan B. Plan B was do plan A better, and I think maybe we need to swap plan A out, which is like Justin was saying, playing on the counterattack, waiting for the game kind of to come to Derby and go a little bit more front foot, try to change up something else. And maybe Paul Warren sits down with Richie Barker and the coaching team and says, how can we, how can we make this a Derby County side to be feared rather than a reactive side? Let's be proactive and have teams react to us because sometimes it feels like Derby are a very reactive side. Well, well let's see what Wigan bring for the first 10 minutes and then eh, we'll adjust accordingly to, to try to get a result. I'd like to see Derby be a little bit more proactive, maybe try to unsettle teams very early on um, and, and, and have that quick start. We've been talking about quick starts for a couple of years on this podcast. And I think 
just getting a quick start, you know, and I know obviously you can't get a, a goal inside 10, 15 minutes every week, but to have a quick start to put teams on the back foot so that they sit here, especially at Pride Park and go, wow, okay, there's 30,000 people in this stadium and they're really coming after us. It's going to be like the Alamo so that they, they adjust, they get that in their mindset rather than vice versa of this is a really strange atmosphere because there's 30,000 people here and this Derby team's kind of just, they're kind of just there. So they're going to allow us to play. So it'll be, it'll be very interesting. And one point, gentlemen, I'd like to just mention before, um, cause I was thinking of this, about this during the game before we head into our Burton Albion preview. Um, Nathaniel Mendes Lang, uh, Justin, you, you're quite right. You know, he kind of faded after the first 15, 20 minutes or so in the game. And I just have this sneaking suspicion that he, he is an absolute live wire player on his day. We saw it last season. Incredible amounts of skill, got a goal or two in him. He's going to be an, a very important player for Derby this season. I just have this sneaking suspicion that he went away on international duty with Guatemala, which means he finished the season with Derby. He had like two weeks off, went straight to the Gold Cup with Guatemala. He was training in Miami and Texas in some of the hottest temperatures in not only in the country, in the world at the time. He went from different time zones, Miami to Houston to New York, played in three different games for the, uh, in the, in the Gold Cup. And I just feel at some point that extra training and those extra games for Guatemala are going to catch up with him. And I hope that they don't catch up to him when we need him in Easter time frame. I know that's a long way away or the busy Christmas period or something like that. I just hope that we can give him, be able to spell him at periods of time to manage his workload so he doesn't get burned out because it's extremely difficult to go from playing club to international. And he literally had no break because we saw the, the, you know, the behind the scenes documentary of the Rams in Spain. He literally finished the Guatemala, flew to Spain and met up with the lads there. And it's very difficult when you don't have any sort of break from football not only mentally, but also physically, just doing that demanding kind of work like that. So hopefully his international endeavors uh, do not do not mess him up uh, longer term, much like Dwayne Holmes did with America when he played before, when he was injured, but still wanted to play for America, which is fantastic, re-injured his thigh and put him out under a new manager. And then he was always on the back foot from then on and could never really get back into the Dwayne Holmes that we had seen that first season under Frank Lampard. <laughs> But what we're going to do now, guys, we're going to turn our attentions to Burton Albion uh, with a preview from a couple of Burton Albion supporters and commentators, and then we'll be back to discuss. So to learn more about Burton Albion, what we can expect from the Brewers um, and, and everything into that, I've got two Burton Albion experts with me. I've got Dave Fletcher. He's a presenter uh, for BBC Radio Derby who covers Burton Albion. And I have Ed Walker. Uh, Dave, Ed, thank you. Welcome to the Rams Review Podcast. How are you, how are you both? Uh, well, after Saturday, I've been better. Uh, I, I was very excited, and it's not my natural state to be excited, at, and it was a bit of a damp squib, in all honesty. I know you were there, and uh, it was all over, really, after about 25 minutes, I thought. I'd have to agree. I mean, we, we are Burton Albin fans. We're kind of used to opening days, not really going our own way the last two years have gone. Um no, I'm very happy to be here, Corey. I love the way you pronounce Pirelli, by the way. Love your pronunciation of Burton words. It's very good to hear. Oh, I, I do my best. I do my best. <laughs> um, I think, Dave, you put it best as a damp squid. Uh, that was probably opening day for Derby as well, uh, as we fell to Wigan, as we fell to Wigan uh, 2-1. Oddly enough, my dad is a Blackpool supporter, uh, so I did I did happen to catch highlights of, of Blackpool's victory against Burton Albion. Um, but as we turn our attentions to the match, uh, Dave, where this Burton Albion crew, they lost 2-0 opening day at, at, at Blackpool. What are the expectations for the Brewers heading into this season? 
Well, I think they're as high as any time that I've been covering them. Uh, there's a, there's an excitement that I haven't come across before because of the signings that, that the club made during the summer. I, I spoke to Dino Marmory before the Blackpool game and he was asking, you know, the signings and all the rest of it. I said, well, you had me at Cole Stockton, in all honesty. I, I'm a Tranmere fan and had seen Cole play at, play at Tranmere as well, but he had such a good record a couple of seasons ago and finished last season really well. And you're thinking, right, here we go. They've got a goal scorer. The rest of the team can sort of follow. Um, but it evaporated quite quickly. He was he was so isolated uh, at Blackpool that he, he had very, very little support. He didn't have any good... Uh, Balls played to him, and I, I thought it was hugely disappointing. Uh, perhaps I should have expected it, having been to Scunthorpe for the last friendly, when, again, they looked a little bit off, having played pretty well in two home games against two teams from the Championship. So, uh, but expectations, my expectations, and I'm not a supporter, I know Eddie's, my expectations were that they would be able to hit the ground running, they'd play this beautiful football that Dino Marmory wants them to play. I'm not a huge fan of centre-backs taking goal kicks to goalkeepers, I have to say. Um, but that's the way he wants to play. Uh, and and that everything would be fine. Uh, and everything isn't quite fine just yet, but it is very early. And Ed, talk to me about Dino Marmory, because last season, outside looking in, I was looking at Burton Albion. And first part of the season, they seemed kind of cut adrift under Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank. They were, in my opinion, looking basically down the barrel at league relegation into league two they look hapless and hopeless and everything like that they bring dino marmory in and then all of a sudden the form was essentially playoff kind of caliber form i don't know the exact numbers but it, it just seemed that way and they just seemed to to completely turn around what has he done different than what jimmy floyd hasselbank has done at burton cared in a word really is the main difference with them um, i think the record generally since he took over at the start of september was kind of a top 10 record, which is pretty respectable to be top half, especially when the side that started the season with a single point from seven games. It was a really dark position he inherited. And he just put the fight back into the team. You could see it straight away. I remember going, for instance, um, down to Exeter, middle of September, first win of the season. They got 2-0 down there. And he's got the whole team united together, huddled around, talking to each other after the game, getting motivated for things like that. And it's kind of things you take generally take for granted as a football fan, you kind of expect it from your team. But when it's not there previously, you notice it when it suddenly returns again. And there was just that belief and that confidence installed back into his players. And I think because very quickly in that season, we knew the objective was survival. That really helped to provide this incentive for them to get over the line. And they did it in fantastic fashion with this great turnaround, especially in the new year. And I suppose heading into this year, it's a little bit different now because there's not a clear objective yet. We, we kind of want at the very minimum to stay away from the relegation battle all the time. We could have a comfortable mid-table season get a good platform to build and that's fantastic but it, it's a bit difficult now because like I say around a month or so from now this time last year we, we knew the challenge was survival so maybe by the end of this month we'll have an idea about what we might be hoping for this season Absolutely but I think it's it's difficult isn't it when when you're the manager and the clear objective is survival that's something to aim for you cannot aim for mid-table which is where Burton fans would be more than happy, I think, mm. for them to finish at the end of the season. Dina Maria keeps trotting it out, and he did it again before the Blackpool game. Last 20 games last season, the form table, they were seventh. Uh, he's told his players to dream big, and he's got to say those things. But the main objective is is to stay 
as clear and as far away as possible from the bottom four as they can, because yes, they have been in the championship for two seasons in recent times, but a club the size of Burton Albion with the resources that I, I, I always talk about the resources. Whenever I'm on commentary, we went to Hillsborough last season, you go to Derby and there's 25, 30,000 people there. Burton Albion can't, possibly compete with those clubs it, it is impossible it takes a freakish set of circumstances for Burton to be in that company at the top of the table but you can't aim for mid-table so it, you're, you're right it, it will be fascinating to see how he motivates his players to be a mid-table side if you like because he's got to tell them to go for the top but then they can't be disappointed if they're not in the top 10 if the 11th 12th 13th that will probably be good enough for the club hierarchy, and therefore Dino Marmory will be uh, will be perfectly safe. It would be quite different if we were a newly promoted side, like one of the four come up from League Two, and we'd literally say, right, we're newly promoted, let's survive, make that the target, minimum 20th with that, but we've been in this league now for six years. And there's still, I'm sure, there's deep down desire from a lot of us to actually go back into the Championship, even though that was really a case of circumstances stalling perfectly in place, coming up with immense momentum, a season for underdogs that year in 15-16 that took them up into the Championship. But the back of my mind as well, because we've been up there, there is a desire to think, well, it, it can actually happen. Mm. So we naturally do want to aspire quite high, but at the same time, I think we are quite grounded and realise that there are some really big hitters in this division and keeping with them would require some really exceptional recruitment and tactics to stay there. I think that that's an important thing. You know, obviously we've, we've seen it at Derby where you have ambition and you have, the willingness to try to get to where you want to get to eventually it doesn't happen. And then the piper has to be paid. So I think it's smart in some respects for the football club to kind of understand, Hey, we kind of know where we're at. We kind of know what we're about. We kind of know that we can get into the championship. That was a great couple of years. We strive eventually to get into that point. But right now that point is not where we're trying to get to. We're trying to continue to stabilize, continue to stay in the league. Cause I think league one survival for Burton Albion is a lot more important than, getting into the championship for a season or two, you know, continuing to not stabilize and consolidate, but continue to establish yourself as a consistent league one team seems the most important thing for Burton Albion at the moment, because we know prior to the championship season, prior to the leagues in league one, you know, I was telling Dave, my cousin used to play for Burton Albion and they were in the, they were in the non-league. And so, you know, in the not too distant future, not too distant past, you know where the football club can be if it's not run properly and it would be a slippery slope if it, if they got overly oh, ambitious. Yeah. yeah, you see all the horror stories around all the time with football ownership and uh, the state can get those clubs in. It can drag the big boys down into these lower leagues, as we've seen, not just with Derby County, but with other sides. I think of Bradford City, for instance, Swindon Town, the mess they've got themselves into, Tranmere, maybe on occasions have, have slipped quite far. For a club like Burton, if they were to have bad ownership or be mismanaged, they could plummet down to the Northern Premier League again, go back to that era where they're barely ever seen on any kind of national or local television, really. So... It's good. We've always, I've always admired the way we try to run under a sustainable model, never trying to spend over our means. I think we're one of the few clubs that last championship season we had in 1718. I think we actually came out with a profit in the league where most people actually generate huge losses. So it was really testament to the way Ben Robinson and Nigel Clough, their manager, works really that they allow this club to keep achieving above the odds. Because if we weren't run sustainably, we wouldn't be in the position where we're right now. I'm certain of that. Well, I'm glad you've uh, reminded me of Tramia's seasons in the wilderness. That's very commended me. I've almost, I'd almost got over that. Um, I just saw you, David. It came into my head. I can't help it. Sorry. <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? I've, 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 I've been talking to uh, 
Radio Leicester today about the about the game that's coming before the Derby game, obviously. Um, and they were they were saying, "Well, will he make wholesale changes?" And I said, "Well, I can't see that he can, he, because he wants to operate on a twenty man first team squad, and that's it. I mean, you have nine subs in the League Cup. Goodness knows how they're going to fill the bench, and." Uh, that that's probably how it has to be at Burton Albion. They can't have two full squads. Everybody tell forty six league games, and then you've got your cup games and the nonsense of the John, uh, the uh, Papa John's Trophy, and, and all that. But but Burton Albion will field a strong side because they have to because yeah, it, it is. It that reminds small me of thing. it's the way Cloth used to do it. He had loads of utility men. You had Lucas Dakins who played absolutely mm-hmm. everywhere. I remember Stephen Quinn got put in a number of positions. He'd chuck some wingers in at fullback every now and again. John Joe Tall, when he was there, played at centre-back and centre-midfield. And likewise, Braithwaite was deployed everywhere. I think Irvin had a couple of roles. It's always been the case where Burton needs to have one or two who can just slot into the team where needed because of the squad numbers they're going to have. So, Dave, when when Paul Warren and the Rams show up to the Pirelli, um, what can we expect tactically from Dino Marmory's men? How are, how are they going to set up and, and how do they generally like to play the game? Well, there will be three centre-backs. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, which of the three of the four uh, are there remains to be seen. Uh, Ryan Sweeney didn't come off the bench on uh, on Saturday. Uh, I'd like to see him given a go, in all honesty, a left-footed centre-back, which might be useful. Um, they'll play with wing-backs, uh, a couple of holding-ish midfielders. Uh, and I'd like to see them give Cole Stockton a bit more support, which is which is where Mason Bennett might come in. He didn't play at the weekend. Uh, I know the Derby County fans were thrilled when he signed for Burton. I saw it on social media. Um, and uh, I think he'll be fit for Saturday, surprisingly enough. He, he took a knock, apparently, in, in training on Friday. So, yeah, it, it will be it will be three, three at the back. With wing backs, uh, that is how Dino Marmaria will play the game throughout the season. I fancy. I can't see them playing any other way, really, than that. I don't know about you, Edward. It, it looks like that's set in stone almost. Yeah, there's the narrative written with Mason Bennett that we all want as Burton fans, but uh, we wanted that with Dale Taylor at Ride Park last season. That didn't happen either, so we'll relax a bit with that. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think what the problem for me with Blackpool was having a couple of wing backs in. Uh, Steve Sen and Tom Hamer, who you just wanted to naturally be the best ball progressors in the team, the ones who would get the ball in space when received out wide and carry it forwards. And it just wasn't a, an incentive to do that. And I'm I'm really struggling to judge Burton exactly off that first game because Blackpool are a side I consider to be right up there coming in the season. I'm anticipating them for a playoff spot, potentially promotion push that they can suit high. So naturally, I think that was a result that's probably expected last weekend. And Maybe as this month progresses, we'll get a sense of what a level that Burton are actually at at the moment. It's so difficult to tell this early into the season. They had two very hard-working strikers, which I'm not sure Derby County have got, in uh, Shane Lavery and Jake Beasley, who didn't stop running all day. Um, they could have scored more goals had Lavery not already got two because he had about 15 opportunities in the second half to pass to a teammate who would have had a tap-in but insisted on shooting himself to try and get his hat-trick. Um, and they should have scored after 24 seconds. I don't, I don't know how close it was. It was probably closer to where you were than where where I was, but I was terrified when that ball hit the back of the net. I was convinced they'd scored. Yes, I was and, relieved to see that flag go up. Let me tell you that, certainly. But again, it was a ball straight down the middle, and we've spoken about it in the past, Edward. I mean, the number of balls that go straight down the middle that undo Burton's defence, and that still seems to be a problem. 
they've always seemed to have a bit of a problem with this. I've, I've found generally, I think anyone that makes moving in behind, quick moving in behind can cause problems to most offences. And Burton has certainly been the kind of offence where that bit of pace and that bit of moving in behind can really cause a lot of problems. There's some games I can think about last season. I'm not going to bring up the score lines in them for very good reasons, but that kind of situation, it, it can cause issues to this Burton offence, certainly. One of those goals at Morecambe is definitely offside, though. Hmm. <laughs> so, Dave Edward, you just talked very briefly there about kind of the weaknesses at at, at Burton, where direct, you know, balls through the center, um, through the center halves, kind of running in between the channels and, and pulling the center halves out of position. Where can this Burton side really hurt Derby? Well, the big threat with Burton, as has been for the last three years, has been set pieces. They've always had this big threat um, in swinging corners, in swinging three kicks. Often what you find is it's the target of one or two people at the back post. It'll either be Sam Hughes, our towering main central centre-half, or the vast experienced John Brayford. And the idea is that they're going to beat the man to the head, head the ball back across, and then the carnage ensues from there. That's where the biggest threat in this team always comes. And even at Blackpool last weekend, that was where the, the bright spot of Burton comes. There's a number of ways they can get into the box. It might be Joe Powell in swing deliveries from corners or free kicks. Uh, Tom Hamer has his long throw, which he used to just launch straight into the box for a flick on. But now he has this idea in his head that he might actually play it back in field to the halfway line to Jasper Moon, who's sat on halfway. And then Moon will send a diagonal ball to deep to the back post again. So there's a variety of different ways of getting into the box. And if it's one of Hughes or Braith who gets on the end of it, there's a good chance that someone's going to attack it at the back post as it comes across. We had Sam Hughes in the studio last Thursday and I was talking to him before we went in saying he needs to tell Tom Hamer to stop throwing it back to Jasper Moon because I do like a long throw. Uh, and he said he much prefers it when it goes back to Moon and it's crossed him because it gives him more... It goes to the back post because Hamer can't quite reach the back post, can he? It tends to go front yeah. post with him. It's a yeah. much better opportunity to attack it. So I'll sort of let him off. The way that they can threaten is to get stopped and involved more and not much further up the pitch, but with more support. I'd like to see um, Mark Helm did not do a bit more. That, that's the wrong. That's the wrong phrase. But get he, he was take up more advanced positions. I think is what yes, he was. Yeah. I thought he was really quiet on Saturday for a player yeah, with, who is undoubtedly, I, in my opinion, the best technical footballer in the team. Um, he just wasn't involved enough for me. And as an attacking midfielder, if he's also got Cole Stockton there and Josh Gordon or Mason Bennett pushing on as well, then they're going to cause a threat because he'll score goals, as he's proved, started scoring towards the end of last season and continued through pre-season. Stockton will score goals. Josh Gordon got 15 last year. I'm not sure whether Mason Bennett's going to be prolific. Never has been. Um, but they've just got to get slightly further up the pitch. And I think being at home, they will be because the the, the crowd will, will sort of force them forward, a bit, if you like. It'll be a cracking atmosphere because the away end will be sold out. Uh, there will be Derby fans in the home end. I have no doubt about that as well because they're desperate for tickets. So uh, and, and and nobody at Burton will really stop that. And we'll just hope to goodness that everybody behaves themselves. But uh, they just need to get slightly further forward. Dave, you've you've talked about a couple of players, and I want to talk about kind of players to watch uh, for when when everybody rolls up to the Pirelli or watches it on TV or listens to the radio. Who should we really be? focused on I know you've mentioned Cole Stockton a few times he had a he was pretty good at Morecambe um, I know he he wanted to play at the lower end championship um, he's come to Burton I know Raheem Harper has kind of failed to impress at Ipswich last year so may have a chip on his shoulder there uh, Jamal Blackman switched 
Hollywood for uh, for Burton, uh, which is a bit bit of a different one, obviously through Huddersfield. Um, and then you have um, you have Mason Bennett, who's kind of that wild card uh, player. We know you were right there, Dave. He was not prolific at Derby. I don't think from the way he finished his Derby career, people have much love for him uh, now. Um, but you know, interesting to see him at Burton Albion. Dave, who, who who should we really be focused on here? Uh, if Paul Warren had to stop one player or the fans had to pay attention to one player, who would that be and why? The one player for me would be Mark Helm. If you, if you keep Mark Helm quiet, that link between the defensive midfielders and the strikers disappears almost. So if you can keep him quiet, then, then that will go a long way to keeping Burton Albion quiet as an attacking force. It was interesting you mentioned Rakeem Harper. Uh, Desi Oshilaja, who it's no secret, is probably my favourite player at Burton Albion. Only signed his new contract last week, came on for the last 10 minutes and almost did enough to make him the Burton man of the match at Blackpool for me. Oh, actually, uh, that's so true. Isn't it? Uh, I, and and I, I can't imagine a Burton side taking on Derby County without Desi Oshilaja in it. It's just how fit he is, how match fit he is. I mean, he's clearly fit. I had a brief chat with him as he came off the pitch after the cool-down and asked him about match fitness. And he said, no, no, I'll be fine. I'll be absolutely fine, which cheered me up. Uh, his, his signing a new contract also means I don't have to change this screensaver on my mobile phone. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I, he could well be a key figure. And, and in, a, in a, with the greatest of respect to Deji Oshilaja, in a destructive kind of way. I think Rakeem Harper has probably got a better range of passes when he gets into his stride as that defensive midfielder. But as somebody who's going to make sure that thou shalt not pass, Dejosh Elagi has to play for me on Saturday. Yeah, I think there's two standout figures to me. I've touched on one already. It's Sam Hughes, who was player of the season last year. Just an absolute superstar defender at the back. He's just got everything about him. You know, Saturday was a very rare mistake to me. That is... Saw that happen for the second goal from Shane Lavery and thought that is so unlike Sam Hughes. It's just nothing you've ever seen. You hope it's, you really hope it's just a one off with him, but he is a towering presence at the back, airily brilliant, always the target, the set pieces, as I say. And because he's come out of one of the Premier League academies in Leicester City at the time, he's comfortable on the ball. So if he does get the chance to take it down, carry it into midfield, progress it forwards, he will actually do that as well. So he's an integral man for me in the heart of the defence and someone who, if there's not on the team sheet on Saturday or at any game, I'm worried, quite frankly. And then another one to mention to me, I briefly touched on earlier, is Joe Powell, who's kind of become this sort of deeper lying midfielder. He originally came in a few years ago as an attacking midfielder, someone designed to potentially replace what Scott Fraser offered as the creative midfielder in the team. And then by chance, I think it was against Bristol Rovers last year, he ended up getting dropped back into midfield. And you suddenly realise this is a guy who's got great technical ability, really good at shielding the ball, carrying it through midfield. But he's got a great amount of added grit to him as well. Loves getting stuck into challenges, really gets the teammates riled up. You can see the passion come out of every time a good challenge comes in or the ball's won in a key area. He really gets up for the mood. And he, like Mark Helm, is one of the two best ball progressors in this team and both need to be on it to get the best of this derby game. And, and Dave, before we finish, I want to talk about one more player who has Derby County links, and that's uh, seems to be the ageless wonder that is John Brayford. Um, it seems like he played for Derby, I don't know, at least 10 years ago. It must be at least 10, if not 15 years ago. But he always seems to be around, and I was shocked to learn he's only 35 years old. I, I, I would have literally bet my house that that man was in his 40s. Uh, he seems to be an ageless wonder. He's still at the back at Burton. Uh, a few words, Dave, on, on John Brayford. 
Yeah, I think he's I think he's more more of an organizational role now, potentially at the back. Um I don't know if he was ever very quick, but he's very clever. So therefore he can be in the right place at the right time. If somebody blocks the ball from a shot, I automatically say it's John Brayford on the radio. And then if I'm wrong, the few times that it isn't John Brayford, I'll take it on the chin because he gets in the right place at the right time at the back, time after time after time. The one problem is that the the, the three centre-backs that they played on Saturday, Sam Hughes isn't rapid. Uh, Jasper Moon, for such a young player, isn't rapid. And I've only seen Ryan Sweeney briefly, but he's not rapid either. So you've got three relatively uh, not rapid central defenders. I don't want to use the word uh, slow because that's uh, that that will be demeaning to them. So they have to use their they have to use their brains and and the best of the brains at the back. Yes, I, I completely agree with you, Edward, about Sam Hughes. Uh, we were asked to pick our player of the season at this early stage who we predicted will be player of the season and uh, Aaron Webster who, who's on commentary alongside me picked Sam Hughes straight away said he is he's by far the, the 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 number one candidate I went for Cole Stockton of course um <laughs> I came home I came home after one game last season and said to my lad who, who was a Bolton fan so watches a, a lot of league one football I said Burton Albion's best player is Sam Hughes uh, and he said, is he the best player or the most important player? Good, good distinction. I thought I thought I brought him up right. But yeah, John Brayford's intelligence gets him into places where he has no right to get to. Fair enough. And and that kind of brings us to the end of this segment. And and Dave, normally we push guests for a score prediction, but knowing your role as the as the as the commentary man, I'm not gonna push you for one. But Ed, uh, as a fan, I'll tell I'm me do push it. you. <laughs> huh? I thought I was getting away with that. No, no, no. Uh, Dave, Dave will get away with. It. I'll give him a pass. Uh, but Ed, as 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 Dave told me, you were a fan, um, a super fan, an expert, so to speak. I'm going to need your expert opinion on how this game is going to go and what's your score prediction for Derby County and Burton Albion. Well, we have a nice home record with Derby County, don't we? And I quite like that to continue this year. Um, I'm quite wary of the fact that if we do go into the into this game with the same uh, level of performances the first half of Blackpool then Derby could quite frankly get as many as they fancied with the quality they do have in forward areas so I'm gonna go for the occasion raising the game as well we've obviously got this big cup game coming up on Wednesday against Leicester City so a couple of back-to-back big Pirelli games against East Midland opponents chance to really get the, the crowd going and Dino does certainly back us at the Pirelli on every occasion so I reckon we're gonna take something and I'm gonna go with a another 1-1 draw like last season all, all I would say, Corey, is that uh, I hope that Derby County, if they do take the lead, do what they did last year uh, and immediately take off a centre-back, uh, uh, take off a midfielder and put another centre-back on. And I would rather teams. they didn't play Aaron Cashin because he annoys me how good he is. <laughs> I, thought, I find it really annoying how good his positioning is. Yes, yeah. But the, 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 for inexplicably last season, we're, we're 1-0 up. Could, should have been too early in the second half, Derby. Uh, didn't take the chance. In fact, the ball, I think it's still going up now. And they brought an extra centre-back on and basically sat back. So uh, fingers crossed that at some point in the game, Derby will sit back and think, well, we'll we'll be all right here because then Burton will pounce. To be honest, Dave, I don't know if we have that many that many defenders in reserve to be making defensive <laughs> defensive substitutions. Although today True. we did sign Martin Waghorn, so he might 
he might feature up top. We've re-signed Martin Waghorn, so he might feature up top with uh, James Collins and potentially Connor Washington. But defensively, we've got Callum Elder, who's who's kind of injured at the moment. He didn't play opening day. We don't know whether he's going to play tomorrow against Blackpool. He was in training today. And then Craig Forsyth played left wing back, so we would only really have one defensive sub. So, so hopefully you've got we don't about make that How old's Forsyth now? He's got to be nearly 40, hasn't he? Yeah, Craig Forsyth. It's like he's talk about Braithwaite being a twist thought. It's Forsyth. I think they hard. played together. They must have played together. They must have all those years. Yeah. Be, yeah, Craig Forsyth is only thirty-four years old. Only Spring 34. Chicken. Spring Chicken compared to John Braithwaite at thirty-five. Spring Chicken. <laughs> but uh, Dave Fletcher, uh, commentator for Burton Albion for BBC Radio Derby, uh, and uh, and Ed Walker, Burton Albion, super fan and expert on Burton Albion. Dave, Ed, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast to give us insights into Burton Albion. I hope we can uh, catch up later this season uh, on the reverse picture before Burton returned to Pride Park. January the 13th. Absolute pleasure being involved, Corey. Thank you so much. Cheers, Corey. All right, Justin and Jack. So with the weekend, Darby's season uh, away away fixture list kind of kicks into gear as Darby make the short trip to Staffordshire uh, to the Pirelli Stadium. Uh, Jack, we've got the Brew Crew. I guess I'd say that sounds very American. Okay, I'm sorry. We've got Burton Albion, the Brewers, uh, at the Pirelli at the weekend. Um, first of all, fantastic badge. I think their badge is just amazing because essentially it's just a fat guy dribbling a ball. That's just amazing in the shape of a B. Um, how are you? How are you looking at the? How are you looking at the game, Jack? Because Burton Albion lost to Blackpool at the weekend. Um, it's going to be a packed out what four thousand people at the Pirelli. Uh, how are you viewing this game as Derby start off their away campaign of the season? I mean, I think what's interesting to me is judging by the reaction from from Saturday. Something that's that's sprung to my mind straight away when I remembered that this was the next fixture at about five o'clock on on Saturday when the Wigan game ended was if they if they don't win this if they perform poorly in this one then the pressure's really going to start to pile on two games in I think which is is mental I mean Burton have made some shrewd signings this summer they you know they had a, a good season really last season. In terms of the job, you know, Maria did when when Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank left. That was last season, wasn't it? That feels like ages ago. Hmm. But um, but yeah, I think I think it's a tough. It's not it's not an easy place to go. It's a bit of a rivalry, you know. These form goes out the window, which based on Derby's performance last week, as, as cliche as this form out the window thing is, based on our performance last week, that's a good thing probably. But I think they've got a. They've got to be up for it, and they're, they're going to face an, another another tough test. I think it's a it's another one of those kind of cliche League One fixtures that we that we spoke about last season, where you go away somewhere like Burton, and you might have to grind out the result. But if they do, great. But again, I'm just not overly confident at the moment. See, Justin Jack's symptomatic of most of the fan base. You lose on opening day in your second match, whoever you're playing, you go, oh, Christ, we got to play them. And it was kind of, yeah, you look at the fixtures and you go, Wigan and Burton, what a great start. We could have six points. And now you're looking at it and you go, oh, God, we got to go to Burton. That place is tough. Typical, typical League One. And 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 Jack's right in a way. Um, you know, you kind of look at the fixtures, small League One ground. They're going to be on you all the time. I know Burton fans are carried away by the fixture because most of the teams are when Derby roll up. 
Um, Justin, how are you? How are you viewing the, the match at the Pirelli? I alluded to um, Nigel Pearson not too long ago, and I remember the the first game Derby played Burton in the league it was under Nigel Pearson, and we lost one 0 Jackson Irvine scored, and I think it was Chris Martin's last game before he went out on loan to Fulham, and it was just an absolute cataclysmic, horrendous, depressing day because I think that's probably where the the you know pessimism really started for for, for Derby and, and me anyway. And I'm going into this game with exactly the same mindset after that after that absolute shambles of a of a performance last weekend. Um I I like I like Burn. I like the way Dino Marmory has set them up. They're a, they're an awkward side to play against. Um and they've as Jack alluded to recruited really well. Cole Stockton's a, a decent signing at this level on a free transfer. Jasper Moon is another decent signing and he was on loan there last season. Raheem Harper's got a point to prove after going to Ipswich last season, not really putting up any trees. There's a lot of good players there. Um and I would be surprised if they're not um knocking on the door of the uh, the top half or at least uh, maybe even just flirting around in, in around the playoffs at some point in the season. Um so it's going to be an awkward game and I think that awkwardness is really playing on my mind in terms of how we how we set ourselves up. I don't think um, I don't think we've got the personnel to really deal with the physical approach that Burton are going to are going to throw at us, and I just <laughs> weird saying it, but it's hard to envisage a clean sheet and a win. It does, and see see what see what an opening day loss does mm. for everybody. It just depresses it, just depresses everybody. Whereas if we beat again, we get two one, we'd be having a different conversation um, at all. But the undefeated season is well and truly over. Yeah. I think when you look at, when you look at the, the match against Burton, like you said there, Justin, the manager did such an incredible job last season. And Jack mentioned it there as well with under Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank, they were completely floundering. They looked like they were straight dead, dead cert to be league two, maybe not even get 20 points. New lad comes in and they were pushing after he came in, their form was like top six form and they finished, they finished mid table and Cole Stockton is a, an incredibly shrewd signing. So I'm um, excited to see what he did after he wanted that move away from Morecambe uh, for a couple of years uh, to see if he can really be the player that he thinks he can believe that he thinks he can be. Hopefully that doesn't start at the weekend. It starts the week after uh, for him, but yeah, it's going to be a, like you say, a really uncomfortable game, really strange game. I think um, it just gets, it just, it, It'll never get. It'll never get. It'll never get uh, to feel right that Derby are playing Burton in a league fixture. That's just very strange. That just feels very strange. It feels like a you know because we used to play them in preseason and and stuff like that in the Derbyshire Senior Cup. So uh, it's very strange. But it'll be an interesting game nonetheless. And I think it's one that the Derby need to start on the front foot. They need to go out and get after it, um, and they need to put some of the opening day hoodoo behind them get the season well and truly started, get three points on the board um, and then continue off with these, with these opening spate of fixtures. Um, so yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting. And I think, you know, if, if Darby do lose, uh, it will, the, 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 the pressure from fans will start to, to get a lot to the players and then it'll see how their mentalities uh, really are for the thing. So, um, and then before we finish lads, uh, one more, one more talking point is a uh, friend of the podcast, Chung Young Lee, has arrived in Derby from South Korea. He's been making the rounds. Uh, he's got a great thread on Twitter. I talked to I talked to Lee several years ago from South Korea on the podcast during the COVID. He, you know, he was a very nice young man. He was very looking forward to his trip to Derby. He's finally doing it. He's living his best life. Um, just very quickly on a couple of quick words about Lee's excursions around Derby. Justin. 
It's fantastic to see, mainly because someone enjoying their a holiday in Derby is, is a miraculous thing to uh, to witness. Um, I'm from Derby. I've grew up in Derby. I can say that. Um, but no, it's it's brilliant, and it, it's it's quite heartwarming to see this football family really open up, um, especially from a Derby perspective, and that togetherness that uh, that developed over the years of obviously the last couple of years with Mel Morris plunging the club into administration. I, you know, it felt it felt like it was in, in in full effect there. So I hope he's enjoying it. I hope the the defeat didn't. Uh, um, put a dampener on his trip by any means um and i hope that he can go to burton away because it is a unique experience it's, a, it's one of those unique experiences going to a ground that small pitch that close really close to the players um yeah i hope he can go there and enjoy it and come back with three points so he can he can go back to south korea you know thumbs up the won a game well while he's watched because i think that's that'd be the most disappointing thing is if he, if he, if he, that he goes back home and it's it's not um it's not uh, yeah without seeing a win so yeah i'm glad he's enjoying himself it's it's brilliant to see jack yeah it's um it's what football's about really in terms of the community the togetherness within the fan base but it's just a shame that it he's come at a time when we're we were playing as we were on Saturday. I mean, my first thought at full time, once I well, once I finished my notes, was, oh no, poor Lee. Like this is, you know, what a rubbish, <laughs> rubbish game to come halfway around the world to see. But equally, it is about more than that, isn't it? Because he's come, he's getting the experience, as Justin says, of Derby of Derbyshire. And and that's great. That is, you know, that's brilliant. Everyone seems to be welcoming him and he seems to be enjoying himself, and as I say, this is what this is the power of sport: uniting people from all sorts of walks of life, all sorts of different places behind one one common cause, and that's that's what it's about. That's what the you know again, I'm going to use the, the old cliche, but it's it's the sort of thing that the club saved for, right? This is the sort of reason that you want these you know clubs need to be protected because it's about heritage, about community and about these stories more so than it is, you know, just what happens on the pitch. It's so much wider. And this is this is another good example of that. I agree, Jack, 100%. As someone who has traveled from America to, to Derby and Justin, I, I vacation in Derby, so I must be, I must be an absolute lunatic. Uh, always been blessed with very good weather though. Uh, except for one time when I came as eight, when I came at eight years old, my first time I came out of Meta Hall and it was sunny when I went in and there was like two foot of snow when I came out and it was terrifying because my cousin couldn't drive on the motorway. So my mom had to do it. Very, very, very bizarre, very bizarre situation. Um, but yes, I, I'm glad that Lee's finally got over here. I'm glad he's thoroughly enjoying himself. Uh, it's great to see the videos. It's great to see all those different things. So um, yeah, hopefully he enjoys it. Hopefully he can get a result at Burton. Um, I've got my own thoughts on the on the on the social media comments that came out about somebody shouldn't get a ticket to Burton from South Korea. I've got comments and and, and strongly worded uh, comments for that individual because that's just stupid. Um, and I know as an international supporter, when I when I come, you know, I, I only come what forty five hundred miles. Oh, sorry, you know, it, it's logistically it's logistically challenging. But at the same time, he's coming from South Korea, which is devilishly more logistically challenging because it's literally on the other side of the world. So it's logistically challenging whenever you're traveling internationally, but to come from that, that kind of um, thing to, to then not only watch not championship football, but league one football, uh, I think is, is an absolute incredible testament. So I hope he thoroughly enjoys himself. Um, Justin Peach, 
Darby County sufferer and host of the Second Tier Pod and, and Jack Bryan, Jack Bryan, uh, regular on the podcast. Jack, Justin, thank you so much for 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 chatting all things Wigan and, and Burton today. Really appreciate you guys coming on the podcast. Always a pleasure. Yeah, thank you, mate. Um, I will just say as well on the international fans that uh, you talk about watching from the other side of the world. That is another thing that this World Cup has given me a newfound respect for. Getting up at goodness knows what time to watch watch Derby every week for you know for people in in various places. It is it's it's mad and it's you know the dedication again is you know it's great from from fans. So you're a match going fan, you go to every game or someone who watches from from halfway around the world. We're all as I say, we're all united by this, and that's that's part of the power of football. I remember, Jack, uh, as we're sharing football memories from around the world, I remember watching France 98, the semifinal and the final when I was living in Hawaii. And I remember watching the 2002 World Cup and I was getting up at like, it was my summer from school. And I remember getting up at like 2 a.m. to watch. I think America played Mexico in the knockouts and then they played Germany and nearly beat them. And then I think Germany got a 1-0 win or something like that. And we moved and, and, and we went home and whatnot. But yeah, it's it's an incredible dedication uh, for wherever the World Cup is, and especially for when it's on the other side of the world, right? Like down under in Australia, New Zealand, it's a uh, it's a it's a special place, um, and it's an incredibly logistically challenging place to watch a football match, and then to to come from to be able to watch a match. So kudos to everybody, and, and Jack, I would one hundred percent echo everything that you know. Football is a game that 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 binds people together, um, and that you know shows that we we all can enjoy something no matter what walk of life where we come from, gender, race, religion, creed, something like that. We can all sit down and enjoy the beautiful game because you're able to talk to someone from um, a different culture who might not even have the same language. Uh, I remember a story. I was in Germany and was talking to a lady uh, in Mainz about football, and she spoke no English, and I spoke no German, but we were able to get through and and, and have a conversation about it. Um, and so, you know, it's an incredibly powerful tool. So thanks for echoing that, Jack. It's, uh, it's something that that everyone should be reminded of, and I agree. You know, this was one of the this was one of the reasons why this football club was saved to have moments like this. You know, Lee's visit's going to be amazing for him and the people that he met. Is he going to define Derby season? No, but to have to have a lad come from South Korea to watch League One football that shows how massive this football club is and what it means to people all around the world. So, uh, thanks, Jack, for for pointing that out. We'll be back next week, everyone, with another episode as we break down Blackpool and Burton Albion and look ahead to I believe the next game is Oxford after that. Um, so we will, uh, we will reconvene, uh, at such a time as that. For now, it's, it's Justin Peach, Derby County supporter, uh, and host of the second tier pod and, and Jack Bryan, regular on the podcast and Corey along with you. Um, have a great week. And there's only one left thing, one last thing to say. And that is up the Rams. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of the Rams Review Podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to get in touch, we're on Twitter at Rams Review 1. Our Facebook is Rams Review Podcast. Or you can drop us an email, ramsreview at hotmail.com. Thanks for listening, and until next time, up the Rams.